Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is Dr. Nathan Businex, my friend, brother in Christ. Welcome back to the show, brother. Dave, it's awesome to be here. Thank you so much. Hopefully I didn't butcher your last name too much there. No, that was that was really good. Businex. Oh, oh yeah. nice. Nice. Awesome. Sometimes I do butcher names. So uh well can you uh just catch us up on uh your life marriage ministry and what you've been working on since we last spoke i think it was last year yeah thank you so much so i have the real joy of serving at the master's seminary in los angeles it's on the campus of grace community church and just absolutely delighted to be a small, small part of what God is doing through this ministry, just blown away by all that is happening around us. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier before the podcast started that we have our Shepherds Conference coming up soon. And so we've got uh, close to 5,000 pastors, if you include volunteers and others who will be on our campus uh, this coming Wednesday through Friday, where uh, our, our hope is to encourage them in the word, to fellowship with them. And really, it's just such a blessing and encouragement for all of us because they're the ones on the front lines. And uh, when they all come together, I mean, one of the things you've been to a Shepherds Conference before that just blows my mind about Shepherds Conference every year is the way that pastors sing when they all get together and you combine that with the clear preaching and teaching of God's word and it just makes for an awesome, impactful week. So mm. we're kind of in the mode of gearing up for the Shepherds Conference right now. So that's that's the, the biggest thing on the docket. Uh, other than that, things are going well by God's grace. The seminary is, is doing uh, well, uh, seeking to fulfill its mission to train men to go out and pastor faithfully and preach the word of God. And so, again, for me, it's just a delight and a privilege to get to be part of it. Mm, that's wonderful, brother. Well, can you tell us about this book that you edited, Right Thinking for a Culture in Chaos, Responding Biblically to Today's Most Urgent uh, urgent Issues, excuse me, that you edited with Dr. MacArthur. Uh, why you guys wanted to update this book and how you're hoping that it'll be received or is being received? Yeah, thanks, Dave. So... This is actually the third book in a series of books that we have done. About 10 years ago, we did a book called Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. And it was pastors at Grace Community Church who were putting together chapters that were addressing all sorts of contemporary issues. And really, it was as simple as us thinking about what are the most uh, what, what are the biggest issues, the sort of hottest issues 
that Christians are thinking through today? And what does the Bible have to say about those issues? We know that the word of God is sufficient, that the principles that are in scripture apply to every situation in life. So what are the biblical principles that apply to the current trends and events taking place around us? And then it was about five years later that uh, a group that included some men from the Master's Seminary, we wrote a sequel to that called Right Thinking in a Church Gone Astray. And in that book, we were looking more at, at church-related issues, uh, everything from the book Jesus Calling by Sarah Young to other trends that we were seeing in the evangelical church. And so now we wanted to write a third book. Because honestly, even from what we wrote about 10 years ago, the culture has shifted dramatically. And so this book, Right Thinking for a Culture in Chaos, again, is that same simple approach. We want to take what the Word of God says, knowing that it's inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient, and we want to apply biblical principles to the things that are happening in the society around us. And you don't have to, you could just go to your favorite news website, turn on the evening news. You don't have to watch long or scroll through very many headlines to know that our culture is in fact in significant turmoil. So what does the word of God have to say about that? That's that's why we wanted to write this book. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's a really good and it's a really helpful book. It's not only biblical, but it's it's useful. You know, it's it's useful in that it's. I mean, obviously, it's built on the the Word of God, which is what everybody would expect coming from you know Grace Community and the Master Seminary. But also, it's it's filled with lots of church history and lots of practical help. So it's it's really good, guys. Yeah, so, well, the book. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Dave, but it, it's a Go book ahead. written by pastors, so they're going to, and I. I feel like especially the chapters that weren't my chapters are chapters that I can, you know, say, hey, these are really good chapters for people to read um, because they're written by pastors. So they're taking the word of God and then they're seeking to apply it in a way that's practical as it addresses the things that people are thinking about when they're reading the news. Yeah, that's really good. You know, you one of your chapters was on deconstruction and there's a lot of confusion out there. As you know well, we both know, and on deconstruction, and you know you're 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 a historian, you're a church historian. What, what exactly is this idea of deconstruction, um, and what concerns you about its contemporary use in the in the church? Yeah, so without going into a lot of details, uh, the idea of deconstruction or deconstructionism was introduced as a a way to approach and analyze philosophical systems by a man in the 20th century named Jacques Derrida. And his approach was essentially to say, when you analyze a philosophical system, what you want to do is you want to take it apart. You want to identify its fundamental components, and then you want to evaluate which components are good and which components maybe are unhelpful or outdated. And then you discard that which is unhelpful and you try and reconstruct something positive out of the pieces that you've identified. It was a little bit later in the 20th century that a 
professor of philosophy and religion at Syracuse, John Caputo, took Derrida's idea and applied it to religion. And, and so from, I don't know, the 1980s, 1990s on, it's become more and more popular to talk about religious deconstructionism, deconstructing Christianity and these kinds of things. That has really become even more popular as a conversation piece in evangelical circles. I would say over the last decade, it was in 2019 that Joshua Harris, who, of course, back in the late 90s, wrote the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye and then had been a pastor in Maryland for about a decade in 2005 to 2015, right in that range. In 2019, he said he was leaving Christianity behind. And then a couple of years later, I believe it was 2021, he um, offered a a course for how to um, for how to for those who are seeking to uh, leave the faith. Uh, to uh, I'm, Harris himself called himself an ex-evangelical. And uh, reframe your story. That's why I'm getting tripped up here. I couldn't remember the title of it. Was the title of that curriculum, and part of that was a deconstruction starter pack. So Harris and others like him. Uh, Harris is one who is actually no longer claiming to be an evangelical. He walked away from his Christian faith. Uh, to use a biblical term, I would say he apostatized. He would say he deconstructed and deconverted and is now an ex-evangelical. But my point is that Harris and others are using the language of deconstructionism as a way to promote doubt and honestly lead to what they would call deconversion. So uh, within evangelical circles, there are some who try to use the term deconstruction in a positive way. Uh, and it is true that biblically, we do need to exercise discernment. Second Corinthians 10.5 comes to mind, where we cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and we bring every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. So we are to be discerning. Hmm. But I don't think that most people, when they say the term deconstruction, really mean it as a synonym for discernment. And where I find the language of deconstruction to be unhelpful is, number one, deconstruction is a non-biblical term. So we're borrowing the world's terminology. And then number two, it's generally used to elevate uh, doubt, to elevate doubt and to justify uh, again, deconversion, this idea that I'm going to deconstruct my Christian faith, and at the end of it, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. Those who advocate for what like Joshua Harris has advocated for are seeking to use this new terminology to really peddle apostasy. So that's the real danger that I would see in it is that it elevates doubt. It makes doubt sound noble it makes doubt and skepticism sound humble when in reality those things are grave sins i mean the the way that satan tempted eve in the garden back in genesis 3 was by causing her to doubt the word of god and at the heart of what 
at the heart of what many are doing using the label of deconstructionism is exactly that. They're trying to convince people who have grown up in Christian circles to doubt their confidence in the word of God. And at that point, it becomes deadly dangerous. Mm, that's really well said. And just kind of expanding that out, you know, as I've been studying this now for a little while, even even it's always interesting because it seems like our culture is ahead of us as Christians. And that's concerning to me um, for a lot of reasons. But on this one, they the kind of uh, what I've been what I've been reading is concerning to me in that they they're saying that this is a real threat, uh, like a civilization level threat because um, it strips away meaning from words. You know, we have that word post-truth. I think it was 2019 for the Oxford Dictionary, and that's kind of what this reminds me of is it's just trying to strip away meaning from, from words. And once you do that, how can you have language? How can you have a functioning society? How can you have law? And and I think that most people aren't really understanding that aspect of the thing and then re like you're saying kind of sort of reinterpreting the word to mean something that you know it 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 doesn't mean and i've seen this over and over again in many books that have been published even recently and and i would say they're they're good books so i'm not i'm not going to say that they're unhelpful either i'm not going to name names but they're not unhelpful i just think that when you go that direction and you're only using it in in a way that you know, it's not ever been used to talk about leaving the faith, which, as you said, is apostasy. Um, I don't think that that's I think that we have to be truthful since since we we're supposed to love the truth and we're to be people of the truth, you know, people shaped and grounded in the Bible. I think that we have to go back and look at what a thing is and then start there. And then interpret it in light of that thing, and I—that's my concern. Um, I think I think you would share that concern. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think deconstruction, again, it's often presented as kind of this neutral concept, but the way that it seems like it is generally applied, at least as it relates to evangelical biblical Christianity, is more destruction, <laughs> and I. I've, Sometimes people thinking that something is neutral can be sucked into a system or a way of thought that actually is destructive and counter the truth. And so it's just really important for believers to be very, very discerning when it comes to those who latch on to these kinds of terms. Again, because it really does, I think, elevate doubt and it has led some to what we would call a shipwreck of faith. Yeah, that's that's really good. Good. You know, we we previously discussed your book with James Coates. You know, God versus government uh, with James on this show. Uh, what would you say to those unfamiliar with both of your work in that book, God versus government, on the topic of submission to the government? And helping people prepare for persecution. Yeah, uh, and thank you again, Dave, for having James and I on a year ago. Uh, the book "God Versus Government" was telling the story of what happened here at Grace Community Church, and then James also telling the story of what happened at his church, Grace Life Church of Edmonton, Alberta, uh, during the government lockdowns that, of course, were related to the COVID nineteen pandemic, and. 
it was the elders at our church and also the elders at his church that made the decision to defy those government lockdown orders in order to fulfill Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, that we would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so when the government said churches cannot meet, our elders said, no, we have a biblical mandate to meet. And so in the sense of, or in keeping with Acts 5, 29, we made the decision that it's better to obey God than to obey men. And here in California, at least, there were a number of mandates that came down, including uh, prohibition on singing in church and other things like that, that our elders said, no, 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 no. Biblically, we're commanded to sing Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. So this is another area where we must obey God rather than men. So really, that was the premise of the book is that when Christ and compliance collide, that we must be faithful to Christ, even if that means that we suffer consequences at a legal or a political level in our desire to be faithful in our desire to be faithful to the Lord. Um, in terms of how that relates to coming persecution, I do anticipate that governmental overreach is only going to grow worse, and so pastors and Christians are going to have to determine at a conviction level that when the government tells them either to start doing something that God forbids or to stop doing something that God commands, either way, that they are resolute that they're going to be faithful to Christ, even if that comes with consequences at a government level. Yeah. I think at least the people that are in my circles and the people that I follow, I think if that was to happen again, I think you would see a significantly larger response from many, many Christians in our circles. And I think that they would be, and I'm including myself in this, I told my wife, if that happens again, you can expect that I'm going to be on the front lines on that one. Because this is not that this kind of thing, and this is really uh, coming out of this, I've decided and really felt burdened to speak up even more on these things that are happening in our culture, you know, um, because there's not enough people sounding the alarm. There's not enough people speaking from a biblical worldview. And you look at the statistics. Well, when you look at the statistics for biblical worldviews, you know, and then you look at the statistics for biblical literacy, and then you overlay that with the state of theology from Ligonier. I mean, it's 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 really it's really quite alarming and devastating, um, as, as I know you know, too. So it is alarming, but our hope is in the Lord. Amen. So if, if our hope was in if our hope was in the American evangelical church, we would have reason to despair. So we should just put our hope in the Lord and trust him. <laughs> Amen. Amen, brother. Well said. You know, we've seen uh, the rise of confusion on biblical sexuality all across the board in our society. And I and I know that you, as a pastor there at Grace Community, as an elder, uh, what advice do you have for parents, not that you're speaking for Grace Community either at, at this on this podcast, but what advice do you have for parents as they raise their children and seek to either enroll them in public school, homeschool, or send them to Christian school and for pastors as they 
equip people in their churches on biblical sexuality? Yeah, um, that's an important question. And it's a question that I know a lot of parents are asking. I am a dad with four kids. Um, my oldest is 20 years old and my youngest is 14. So I've got four kids who are right there in the teenage years. So I understand. I understand the concern and I understand from a parental perspective, the heart behind the question, because what's happening in the society around us is, as you said earlier, alarming. It is alarming. I think a couple of things that come to my mind in answer to that question. Number one would be that this is exactly what the Apostle Paul described happens to a society when that society abandons biblical truth. And Paul described that in Romans chapter one, sort of the downward spiral of secularism. And the reason that's important is because it means we should not be surprised. Although it is alarming, we should not be surprised that this is indeed where our culture is at because our culture has abandoned its commitment to biblical truth, to Judeo-Christian principles. And more than just the biblical principles, our culture has abandoned uh, its, uh, well, we have a culture that uh, does not love and, or believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see that reflected in an abandonment of biblical principles, this is what you get, the downward spiral. And in chapter one of the of the book, Dr. MacArthur talks about the fact that Romans one talks about a sexual revolution, a homosexual revolution, and uh, the irrationality that then results of all of that. And you can really track in Romans one what's happening in American society today. So this is in keeping with exactly what God says happens when a nation abandons biblical its biblical foundations. Yeah. But okay, how do we help parents? Well, I think parents need to number one, um help their children understand the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we want our children to grow up and make wise moral choices, all of that must begin with teaching them the fear of the Lord, which comes from instructing them in biblical truth. And then secondly, I think we can help our kids understand that the reason our world is doing this is because this is what the world does when it's not when unbelievers are not following the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what happens in a society. So emphasizing the distinctiveness of non-Christian worldviews from the Christian worldview. You know, mom, dad, why don't we do this? Why don't we think this way? Why don't we um why don't we um approve of these kinds of lifestyles? The answer is because we fear the Lord and because we're followers of Jesus Christ. And that makes us different. And then thirdly, and these aren't in necessarily any sort of chronological order. But thirdly would be that you have to emphasize the gospel with your kids and you have to instruct them in the love and admonition of the Lord. Um, you know, I think of what Paul told Timothy in second Timothy three, you know, 
the things that you learned about, even as a child from the sacred writings, the things that you were taught that lead to salvation in Jesus Christ. And he was taught those things by his mom and his grandma. So parents have to be the ones that are faithfully instructing their children in the truth of the gospel, because it's the message of the gospel that will that God can use to save them. And not only that, but it also puts in perspective what our mission needs to be to our society, because it's so tempting to just think, well, I'm just going to isolate myself or I'm just going to you know, ignore all of those people or I'm actually going to respond in anger and hatred towards those people. Instead, we need to be responding with gospel compassion. So mm. if I, as a parent, can instill in my children a fear for the Lord and his word, if I can help them understand the distinctiveness of what it means to walk as a Christian, walk in the light and not in the darkness, and if I can train them up in the truth of the gospel, by God's grace, that gospel truth pierces their own heart, and then they have a heart to reach the lost with that same truth, knowing that only the truth of the gospel can actually change the hearts and souls of depraved sinners. If I can accomplish those things as a parent, then uh, I, at that point, feel like I have fulfilled my biblical responsibility. But I, you know, I don't think it's the kind of thing where we can just shelter them to such an extent that they never have to interact with this. This is a reality that is pervasive in our culture. And so we need to equip them with biblical truth so that they can think biblically and respond in a way that honors Christ and advances the gospel. Yeah, that's really good. That's really a good thing. You know, we, we've we seen the, uh, and I know this isn't your particular chapter, but I'm sure you have thoughts on it. Uh, we've seen the rise in the influence of social media on the church and our society as a whole. What are what are some uh, pitfalls that Christians should avoid while utilizing it as a tool to spread the gospel? Yeah, well, social media reflects society, right? Because social media is a tool that is used by people to communicate and to network. And so it comes with all of the pitfalls that are evident in the human heart, at least insofar as what the human heart can communicate either through written word or through pictures. Hmm. I do think that social media can be used in a way that is profitable. It can be used to connect family members who are far apart. It can be used to have gospel conversations. And there certainly are ministries that use social media well. That being said, social media also can become an enslaving Sin, um, it doesn't cause sin. It's a means by which people um, certainly can exercise sinful choices. Uh, it, it can become a real, a real pitfall. You know, I think of Hebrews chapter 12, where we're to run the race with endurance and set aside the sin that so easily entangles us. And social media feels like it's the it is the kind of mechanism that can easily entrap people uh, as they're trying, even believers, as they're trying to run the race. Mm. And we're all familiar with ways in which that can happen. Uh, it, it could be uh, a, a form of social media that actually entices 
lust or becomes a way in which pornography is um, is delivered. And obviously, uh, that's something that is uh, completely outside the bounds of what biblical Christianity entails as we seek to walk with Christ. Uh, social media can become a platform for gossip and for slander and all of the spoken sins that the New Testament warns against. Uh, social media can become a mechanism by which people are tempted to envy or grow jealous. Uh, you know, you see someone on Facebook doing something or you see pictures on Instagram from somebody's vacation and immediately there's a temptation to envy or be jealous uh, it can be a place where there's argument, uh, argumentativeness and combativeness and, you know, gives a platform sometimes for pugnacious people. So it can cause division, right? So all of these sins that the New Testament warns against, honestly, all of the relational sins are sins that social media can become a platform or a vehicle uh, that uh, enables, gives people another outlet for those, for exposing what's in their hearts. Mm. So yes, uh, social media can be used in a way that is profitable and that honors the Lord, but so often it is used in ways that simply expose things going on in the heart of its users and putting those on display for all to see. And so Tom Patton, he's the one that wrote that chapter he goes through some of those things and then he warns readers, you know, guard your heart, guard your heart. And don't don't give in to the temptation of thinking that just because it's you and your computer screen, that that gives you license to lust, license to slander, license to envy, license to be a jerk. <laughs> right. The. The principles that govern speech and relationships in the New Testament, the commands that God has given us, those don't just apply to when we're sitting across a table looking at each other face to face. Those apply to online communication just as much as they apply to any other form of communication. And I think so often believers just kind of think, oh, well, social media, like, A, everybody has it, everybody's on it. Um, and that's another thing is wasting time. That's another huge temptation with social media. And we need to be more discerning than that. We need to stop, ask ourselves, how does biblical truth relate to how I'm using my time and what I'm saying or what I'm looking at through this medium? And if the answer is what I'm doing doesn't measure up to the biblical standard, then I need to stop doing it. Mm. Really well said, brother. Yeah, that that really gets to the to the to the issue. It's it's a matter of our the motivation. Are we going to use it for the glory of God? Are we going to use it for our own glory? Right. Um, yeah, and that's another right. Pride is another major temptation on social media. And you're right. It is about assessing our own hearts and asking the question. Am I using this as a mechanism or a tool to honor the Lord? Or am I using this for self-promotion, self-gratification, or any of the list of, of vices that the New Testament warns against? I know for me, I've had to stop scrolling because, I mean, 
just seeing some of the things that are posted, I, I get upset and then, you know, then I have to repent. But uh, that, that's for me. You have to find out what those buttons are for you. And I would just say to somebody, you know, those who are listening and watching this, you know, just think about as you post on social media, think about is what I'm going to post is going to help somebody. Are they going to be pointing to Christ? Are they going to be pointing to the word? Are they going to be pointing to a church? Uh, if you're behind a microphone doing a podcast or behind a pulpit, uh, do you want that message broadcasted to the people that, you know, in your family and your friends and, you know, those that that will hear your teach or anything like that? Mm, probably, maybe not. Then don't post if it's going to. But if it's going to build up and it's going to, um, you know, honor those things, like you said, all the speech like Ephesians 429 um, is if it's going to build up the body and equip them to know scripture and know Christ and uh, to strengthen the church, then post it. Um, yeah. And, you know, the chapter that Tom put together is not a it's not a legalistic kind of never be on social media approach. It's a much more principle based. Here's what scripture says. Use these principles and then be wise. And certainly, you know, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is, you know, useful for edification, you know, those kinds of principles from Ephesians 4 and other principles are such good reminders for all of us on social media, because it's so easy to just think, oh, yeah, this is this is a different category. Therefore, I don't have to be as careful when in reality we have to be just as, if not more careful when it comes to the category of social media. It's mm, really well said, brother. Well, where can people go to find you on social media or otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Um, so I do have a Twitter account that I almost never update. <laughs> That's at N Buzenitz. Um, So my first initial and my last name. I have a Facebook account that I rarely check. And I have an Instagram account that honestly, I don't even remember the password to. So my my uh, my access to social media is perhaps uh, a bit lackluster compared to some. Um, but in terms of the book itself, I don't know if that's what you were getting at, but the book, Right Thinking for a Culture in Chaos, is something that can easily be found on Amazon or even at your local bookstore. I was at Barnes & Noble yesterday, and they had several copies. So um, anyway, Tom Patton did a great job with that social media chapter, and it's it's worth reading. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, there's a lot that we could talk about about all of these topics. There's many that you that we didn't hit, um, like critical race theory, among others. And just as we wrap up today, do you have a few takeaways for those who listen and watch the show? Yeah. So in the book, we hit um, relativism and uh, let's see, what all do we hit? We hit relativism, pluralism, environmentalism. Uh, we go after wokeness and critical race theory. Again, we're trying to bring biblical principles to bear on all of these issues. Uh, we talk about homosexuality. We talk about transgenderism. Uh, in fact, I think the chapter on transgenderism is one that people will find very helpful because it brings 10 biblical principles to bear 
on what our culture is doing as it seeks to separate gender from biological sex. Then we have a chapter on educational choices. And for parents out there thinking about public school, private school, Christian school, homeschool, uh, that's a great resource. Uh, chapter on marriage and dating in a culture driven by sensuality. Chapter on how to guard your mind. Uh, chapter on even virtual church. Uh, one of our guys wrote a chapter about, you know, that which became really popular during the pandemic, and that is live streaming services as a supplement for weekly gatherings and brought biblical principles to bear on that. Christian's relationship to government, deconstructionism, uh, the gospel as the only solution for our society. These are some of the themes that are addressed in the book. And our hope is that it will be helpful to Christians and to churches as they look to the same authoritative source that we're looking to, the Word of God. Our desire is for them to be Bereans, that they would study the scriptures to see if these things are so, and that the principles that are derived out of the scripture, that they would be encouraged in seeing how relevant those principles are for thinking in a God-honoring way, even as the culture around us feels like it's burning to the ground. So that that's our goal. And our prayer, of course, is that Christ is honored in all of it. Mm, wonderful, brother. Well, thank you so much for coming on Equipping in Grace. Thank you so much for you and Dr. MacArthur and all the many people that wrote in this book. If you're watching the video, I just put it up. Uh, it is really, really helpful. It is uh, necessary, a necessary book. I'll say that for our times. And you guys have served the church well. So thank you so much, brother. Uh, thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.